Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day. My light is on, so I should be on. Okay. Well, again, good morning. Happy Mother's Day. It's good to see you guys here this morning. And we are going to celebrate you moms here this morning as much as we can. And even as Jillian had mentioned, you know, as Mother's Day comes, it's a time where we celebrate, but I know it's a very emotional time also for some who have lost their moms, uh, for some moms who have lost their children. And we want to be sensitive and aware of that. Our hearts go out to you if that is the case. And we do want you to know we have empathy. We hurt with you for those losses in your life. I know it's difficult when you see a picture on Facebook and it's of someone's mom who you know has passed and your heart goes out to them because you know that the role that a mom plays can't be replaced. Um, And a lot of us have had uh, difficulties in our relationships, and sometimes the mom is the only one who stays there by your side uh, many times. And so as we move forward into this morning's talk, let's pray and let's ask God to help us to embrace all that's involved with motherhood and how it can affect our lives our relationship to him. Father, we are grateful this morning for an opportunity to talk about the importance of this role. Lord, you have designed us so that this relationship between mother and child is so prominent throughout scripture. Father, we see how important a role has the mom has played in so many of the great names and people in Scripture. Lord, how they would actually set their children on the path, sometimes good, sometimes not so good, but Lord, there was such an influential role, and moms still play that influential role. And Lord, help us to see that, help us to understand why you have created this dynamic in our families And Lord, might we be drawn closer to you because of it. We do pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to take a break from Genesis, and we are going to have something specific for moms. And I think it's important as we start to understand that it's a design that God has instituted, that of a mother. Okay, and everyone has a mother. Now, you might not know your mother. I don't know what the instance, but I know you had a mother. It's just how it works. Okay, and so you're here. And what God has done in this role has an importance in our lives and how it shapes us. And as we've been going through Genesis, remember in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, when it said, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so there is a part of God that is more clearly expressed in the role of the woman. And only women can be mothers. That's how it is. You can argue with me on that one, but you're going to lose, okay? That's the way it is. And so God has designed that there is a role that women play and there's a role that moms play that I think actually give a good reflection of who God is. We, we see different passages in the scripture where God 
uses the role of a mom to help us understand him. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 18, it says, You deserted the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. Only a mom knows what it's like to give birth. I was in the delivery room. It wasn't the same for me and Kareem. Okay? I try and take credit, but I can't, you know? Yeah, I was there. Yeah, I was there watching. She was there screaming, okay? Or sedated, whatever the case was be. You know, she was, she was involved a lot more than I was. And so God has this intimate involvement with his creation, with his people, that he says that he gave them birth. And so what I want to do this morning is follow a specific mom on her journey. And we get to see a lot of her because she's probably the most well-known mom in the world, and that's the Virgin Mary. And as we look to this, we need to remember that the Lord spoke of her that she was highly favored among women. Okay, This is a unique person, and God used this person in a very special way. And she is favored, and so we want to kind of follow her in this journey because I think it's very telling of the journey that many moms go through. I think you'll be able to find things that you can relate to with her. You might think, well, I can't relate to the Virgin Mary. You might be surprised. If you're a mom, you probably relate more than you know. And so we're going to start by looking at Luke chapter 2. So if you want, you can turn there. We're going to be moving through the scriptures quite a bit. If you need a copy of them, raise your hand. Otherwise, we are going to be showing them on the screen today. But we're going to start in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the heavens, on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. 
And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised... You may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to bring a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul. Here is a young woman, probably in her teens. She gives birth to a child, and you know the story. It's not your normal birth. And so she has this child, and imagine the questions. What is this child about? God, if you're involved with this, what is the reason for this? And so God shows up to some shepherds, appears to them, and overwhelms them, and they run to see Mary and Joseph in this thing that has happened. And it says that she pondered and treasured these things in her heart. Why would she do that? Because... This is a confirmation to her own heart that what has happened is genuine. This is really God doing something. This child is really special. You know, it says of Moses that he was no ordinary child. And I always wondered, what does that mean? Like, did he have a big head? Did he have a beard already? What, what, why was he no ordinary child? But you see, I believe every mother thinks their child is no ordinary child. I think every mother can see in their child potential for them to be someone great. And here is Mary with this miraculous conception and now gets a confirmation through these shepherds and she treasures it. And she treasures it in her heart because it's affirming to her that what is happening is genuinely from God. And then as they go and dedicate Jesus, Simeon 
comes and he takes him and he makes this declaration. He praises God. He's now seen the Messiah. But with that comes this prophetic utterance that it's going to be the rise and fall of many, that this Messiah is going to reveal the hearts. And then he says, and a sword will pierce your own soul. And this is foretelling for what is going to happen to Mary. That a sword is going to pierce her own soul. And there is something that is intrinsic about motherhood that bonds a mom to a child like no one else can have. I love my children to death. But Corrine has a bond to them that's biological as well as emotional, as well as relational. She carried them in her womb. Her life literally was given to them so that they could live. She is committed to them like no one else has ever been. And so there is this bond that cannot be expressed clearly. You moms know what it's like. And that bond also is the potential for incredible sorrow and hurt. It's not without reason that it, the Proverbs many times, they'll say a child who's in shame is a, a, it is a heartbreak to their mother. More so than to their father. It's something that happens where the mom takes it very personal. It's my responsibility. I, this is my child. I'm responsible for them. And it doesn't matter how old they are. You think, yeah, the little kids, eight, ten, I'm responsible for you. You know, baby, yeah, I'm responsible for you. Then they're 25, I'm responsible for you. No, you're not, mom, I'm okay now. It doesn't let go, right? Anyone have a mom that doesn't let go, right? It's like, <laughs> they don't let go. They stop, can't stop caring. You don't just flip a switch and say, I don't care anymore, you're grown. No, they're still responsible. I, I'm responsible. And then if something happens, if you do something wrong, you get in trouble, they blame themselves. They do. And you tell them, you know, it's not your fault. He's a man. It's his fault. No, but if I would have, you know, taken him out of kindergarten and let him do more finger painting, you know, I mean, their mom, their just minds there go. If I could have done something different, maybe I could have made a difference. And there's just that connection to them more so than anyone else. And, and it's for the reason. And this sword is going to pierce her soul. And later on in verse 41, as continuing in that chapter, it says, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, he's older now, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. I love this. They traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. 
And his mother said to him, it's mom, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. They always throw dad in there, right? Your dad and I are very upset with you. (laughs) Who knows where Joseph is, right? He's like, huh? What did you say? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm with her. (laughs) Whatever she says, I'm with her. Your father and I are really, we've been looking for you. Why, why are you searching for me? Verse 49, he asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. They went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So again, here, here is another instance where Mary treasures something in her heart because she's starting to see the fruition of what she has believed and what she has known. But it comes in these little glimpses and these little spurts. And, and I just love that they lost the Son of God. Okay? I mean, oh my gosh, you know. Where's Jesus? I thought he was with you. No, I thought he was with you. Oh no, and it's a whole day. We left our kids before. We, there's been a few. I don't know if we left all of them. Maybe three out of four. <laughs> but there were times where Corinne and I would be at church, and, and you know she's doing things with the kids, and I'm doing things with the kids, or you know involved. And we kind of have okay, you'll take some, I'll take some. But then you think one of them has the other, and then you're home, and you're driving home, and you get a phone call. Hi. Yeah, this is so and so. I've got Daniel. And oh, 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 this story makes me feel much better. Yes, I, I could have raised the Son of God. I, I lose children too. And we see just the natural understanding, but we also see just the dynamic that takes place here. What are you doing? What's going on? I don't understand what's happening. And when she starts to see his wisdom unfolding, she treasures it in her heart. It's something that's important to her because she needs verification of what is happening. She needs to know what is going on. And I don't think we fully recognize because we don't paint the Christmas story in the full light many times. We don't recognize the scrutiny and how her name was drugged through the mud because of this incident. In John 8.41, a literal translation where the Pharisees are talking back and forth with Jesus. And he's saying that he is from God and that's his father. And they say, well, our father is Abraham. And then they say to him, we weren't born out of whoredom like you. Referring to his mother. And this is while he is in his 30s, imagine what she has gone through her entire life, what people said about her and this child they considered illegitimate, born out of whoredom. And she carried that her entire life. 
And then there would be an instance like this or there at the temple that she would treasure in her heart because, okay, even though everyone is saying this about me, I know this to be true. And there's something about moms that are connected to your children where if you talk about your children, it's like talking about you. If your child fails in some way, moms take it personal. It's their own failure. They're just connected in that way. And we see Mary even trying to take responsibility as Jesus was in ministry. In Mark chapter 3, we have an instance. Jesus is doing ministry now and he's causing quite a ruckus. He has healed someone on the Sabbath. And now the Pharisees are trying to bring accusations against him and people are crowding him. And in Mark chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, this is Mary and his brothers, it says so later on the chapter, they went to take charge of him for they said, He is out of his mind. They went to take charge of him because they said, he's out of his mind. Who's there to take charge of him? His mother. She brought the brothers. She's there to take charge of him. Why? Because this is going, this is getting out of hand. She is able to see the commotion that he's raising with the religious leaders. She is able to see, as well as many other people, that he is starting to make a lot of waves with a lot of important people. And she knows the power they wield, and she knows the consequences that will lead to him if he continues in this way. He must not know what he's doing. She's there to take charge of him. Doesn't that strike you? I I need to take charge of Jesus. Because she thought, they thought, he was out of his mind. She saw her son in trouble or potential trouble and she wanted to take charge because she's a mom, because she cares, because she's that involved. And you see, it's difficult for us sometimes to realize, especially when we're growing up and what our moms deal with with us because we're so focused in our own world. You, You have no idea what you're putting your mom through when you're a young kid, especially when you're a teenager. You, you don't have an idea about a lot of things. No offense to you teenagers. You'll look back and say, oh, he's right. <laughs> At least I hope so. Uh, but the mom is always involved. The mom always cares. The mom doesn't let go. The mom follows Jesus and finds him when he's 12. The mom follows Jesus when he's in his 30s and tries to take charge of him because she's worried about him and she thinks he's out of his mind. I need to step in and help him. And you see, the, the thing is that the mom takes a role that is bigger than a human being can bear. The mom takes the responsibility and she tries to to control things and they're out of her control. You cannot control your children. And all you moms know that by now. 
unless they're little. Now I'm just giving you a forewarning. The day's coming. Trust me on this one. Oh, you might have good children. They might do really well, but you cannot control them. Even the good children, you know, will live their own life. And you want to help them. You want to guide them, but it is beyond your ability. But you feel the pressure and the weight and the responsibility. And, and you look back and you think of what your mom has gone through to just care for you, to try and see you through and help you, and still does probably to this day, even if you don't think it's the right advice, even if she thinks you're out of your mind and she's trying to take charge of you, whatever the situation, she is wanting to be there to help because she is connected to you in a very deep, deep way. And it isn't until you get older and have children that you start to recognize what your parents went through. My mom used to always said, one day you're going to have a child like yours and then you'll understand. Anyone else get that threat, that curse by the mom? The mom curse. One day you'll get a child just like you. And then we got twins. Did it take two to fill the curse in my life? (laughs) And you start looking back and you see your mom and all that she did for you, the sacrifices she made just to keep you cared for. And then the admiration comes and the respect comes. And then you understand her role as a mom and the depth of it, and it does cause you gratitude. Last Friday at Grassroots, we had a feature. Her name is Ariel, and she did a a piece on her mom, how her mom is her hero, and how she saw her mom falter and struggle, but her mom continued and stood and made it through. And it really was striking, and so I asked her, I said, hey, can we record this and have it play for us on Sunday? And so she said yes, and so we're going to watch it here in a second. I'm saying this so they can get it ready back there. And so it went really well, but there's something else about this that I just wanted to to make known. You see, this video was put together by one of the kids in our community. It was put together by Josh Garcia. This is your son's work, B. And this is his Mother's Day present for you. Okay, I know he's not here right now, but I wanted you to know that. And you see, we're all aw, but you have no idea what that means to mom. I told Steve, and Steve started crying. So it means a lot because they care about their son, and any time they see their child involved with something that has purpose and depth, it enriches their soul. And so Ariel's going to share with us just a few minutes about her mom being her hero and the struggles she went through, and then I'm going to come back up and we'll conclude. We all hate that scene in the movie where the hero is broken and weak, human and imperfect. It is invigorating and refreshing all at the same time. We take those televised heroes and make them relational so that our hearts know exactly the right time to squeeze out enough sympathy when kryptonite surrounds their strength barriers. My hero sometimes switches from provider to hero to daughter. 
She once let mental stress choke her physical and convince her that she was dying, breath short and tears heavy. I, I can't breathe. I can't breathe, she repeated with just enough breath to defeat her no longer formidable mindset. My hero once had a visit from depression. It kissed her stability, tainted with threats of transformation, dripping from its touch. It broke her down into little fragments of shattered window panes with rain dripping off their jagged edges. Depression and rain always seemed to go together like two forbidden chemicals known for destruction. I once witnessed death with my hero. It came and drew a vivid line between heaven and earth, between physical and what it means to surpass the physical. Have you ever looked at a body and known that there is no longer a person in there anymore? It is the most bizarre and uncomfortable moment where life and death meet you in the same room and someone has to surrender. I have seen my hero mourn like a curled up version of fear. She pulls her knees into her chest so that her tears had something to fall on my hero and I have kissed death with living lips. It was cold and porcelain and acts close to perfection as our human limitations could even come close to. It is sad and invigorating, inviting you to think over and over like a leftover lover. See, my hero is still very human, with kryptonites of all kinds, stress and depression, physical and mental, life and death. It radiates next to her fragile feeling body like teasing bullies in elementary school, daring her to fall, to crumble into her knees like the way surrender visualizes itself. But she, she stands up, knees shaking, but nonetheless standing. She presses her heels into the ground like the way a good victory presses into defeat. She wipes only one side of her tears because the other side that she could do both. Cry and still get back up. She strokes her kryptonite and lets it sting for only a moment as if to say that feeling too much is not a weakness. She is strength that comes from whole destruction. She is resurrecting capes under collapsed skyscrapers. She is kryptonite's worst fear. Yet my hero is still so very human. It would be a mistake for us to not see Mary as very human to not understand the pain that she went through. In John chapter 19, if you turn there, John chapter 19, verse 25 and 27. We see at the crucifixion, the end of Jesus' life, everyone has fled. The disciples have run, they're hiding in fear for their lives. We see in verse 25, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. There was his mother. He's crazy. He's out of his mind. What's going on? He's going to get himself killed. Everyone flees, but she is there and sees the death of her son. And you think about the, the weight of emotion that this woman had to carry. Her whole life being disgraced in the eyes of others, but she would hold on and treasure things in her heart. She had hope. No, something something is special about this child and those glimpses she would treasure. And then seeing her 
sons start to take in this ministry and oh no, people are out to get him. He, he's lost control. He doesn't know what's going on, but he would say, who are my brothers, my sisters? Who is my mother? These who do the will of my father. And she's trying to wrap her mind around this, but he is taken and he's imprisoned and then he is crucified. But she is his mother and she is there through it all. Because that's what a mother does. And Jesus on the cross, verse 26, when he saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son, pointing to John. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. And at that point, Jesus entrusts Mary to John and also entrusts John to Mary. The disciple who he loves, he has someone now to take care of that disciple. Who is it? It's the one who is taking care of me my entire life. She will now care for you as your mother. And so what an incredible and emotional picture we see of Mary. In Isaiah 66, 13, it says, as a mother comforts her child, the Lord says, so I will comfort you. There is a comfort only a mother can bring. Dad, sorry, we just, we can go so far, but there's something that only a mom can comfort us in. I remember when I was little and I had these terrible earaches, I'd always get swimmer's ear. I don't, I still don't know what it means, but I know it has to do with swimming in water. And there was no tubes that they could put in your ears at this time because this they still worked with rocks and stuff. You know, this is like a long time ago. And my ears would just, I would turn and I'd get this throbbing pain that would just shoot through my body and just make me cry. And I remember sometimes, I can remember one moment vividly just laying down and just having my head on my mom's chest and her just rubbing my head, just taking real careful not to touch my ear because even the touch would hurt. And that was the only place I could find comfort was there with my mom. And this love, this unsurrendering passion that a mom has, God says, that's how I want to comfort you. In Isaiah 49 Verse 14, it says, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. And so we see this picture of a mother is the picture that God is giving to us. There's one more I want to look at in Hosea chapter 11. Verse 3, it says, It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like the one who lifts a little child to the cheek, And I bet down to feed them. This enduring, endearing term that is a picture of a mom. 
And so this role that you moms have played in the lives of your children is a wonderful picture of the role that God plays in our lives where he doesn't give up. And the wonderful thing about this story of Mary is that after she is there at the cross and sees the death of her son, the last time we see Mary's name appear is in Acts chapter 1 and verse 12. It says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly a prayer, in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. She is still there. She now is a part of the resurrection. She is in the upper room when the Holy Spirit comes on and fills the place. She is one of those who was there. And she got to see the promise of God fulfilled because she was a faithful mother who did not stop being one who cared and was there to nurture her child. And she received the benefit of that long after this incident passed. And so what a a beautiful model we see in Mary of a mother. What a wonderful picture of God we see in this role, this maternal role that only a mom can play. Now, some of us, didn't have that role in our lives. See, I never had the role of a father growing up. I had the role of a mother. Some of you might have had the role of a father and not of a mother. Some of you might not have had the role of a father or a mother in your life, an example that you look to and say, I want to be that. But you see, I have an example of a father, and it's God. And you have an example of a mother, and it's God who cares relentlessly for you, who loves you relentlessly. And you know what a mom is supposed to be, just like we know what a father is supposed to be. And why do we know that? Because God has designed that. And as we see Mary exemplify that with all her weaknesses, with all her doubts, with all her concerns, we do see that longevity and that concern. And so understand, the reason you know what a mom should be is because God has given us that role to be an example of what it is he is and the roles that we're supposed to play. And and so as we close this morning, I want everyone who is a mom or who has been a mom to stand. Would you stand? And I want to pray for you. And I want to thank God for you. Let's pray. Father, these moms who are standing here play such an important role or have played such an important role 
in the life of someone. And Lord, you have given them a task that is bigger than they are. Lord, they care for someone who is going to grow up and be independent, but they will never stop caring. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give them wisdom beyond their ability and their understanding. I pray that you would give them strength. Lord, that you would give them treasures that they could hold in their heart, just as you gave Mary. You would give them those glimpses of hope, Father. You would give them those promises that they would understand that even though their reach might be short and they can no longer care for their child the way they would like to, that your reach is not short, that you can still care for them. Because, God, you have put that desire in their heart because that desire comes from your heart. So, Bless them. Father, comfort them in those difficult times. Strengthen them. And Lord, might they stand firm against the obstacles that are there. May they have resilience. May they not be broken by the constant struggles that come their way. Father, might they have encouragement from you. And might they, like Mary, be there on the day when your spirit is able to fill them with your power, your strength, your love. Thank you for these moms. We celebrate them today. We celebrate the role of mothers and we thank you for that role that you have given to all mankind, Lord. You are a good God. And we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Moms, we applaud you. God bless you and thank you so much. I hope you all got a carnation. If you didn't, please get one in back. There's some more here. Let's stand together, all together. God bless you guys. Have a happy Mother's Day. If you go out to eat, I hope you get a seat wherever you go. Celebrate your moms. If their mom, your mom is here, let her know how much she's loved, guys. God bless you guys. Happy Mother's Day.